0: I'm really happy to be back with you today i was supposed to be with you in january and covid finally found me um yeah for the first time my whole family got it um we were very blessed that it was brief and mild um, but it sure did stop everyone's life right in their tracks um i had an entire talk prepared for you guys um, that i could have brought back with me today Um, but the truth is there is something else that i feel convicted to talk to you guys about today. That other topic can wait. Um, Because I feel so very convicted, I also felt called for the first time in my preaching life to, I didn't write it down, Um, (laughs) y'all. And I want to thank you for being this safe space and community that has held me for the past few years as I've visited you. Um, If it weren't for a safe space such as this, I wouldn't feel brave enough, even though I'm questioning if I'm brave enough, um, to come to you this way with this different type of preparation. And safe spaces are part of what I do want to talk to you guys about today. It is part of what I'm feeling convicted to speak about and share about today. But I'm doing so with a different mood in my spirit than I usually come to you with. Um, because today I'm really angry, I'm really angry and I'm a person who's really angry, a person who like many of us I'm sure were raised and socialized to um, believe that anger was a failing of some kind, that anger came up um, when you weren't strong enough uh, to keep it at bay, Um, anger was a destructive thing or a weak thing. I don't believe that anymore. Um, I think that anger is a catalyst, and anger is a powerful energy, and anger is a protector. Um, But that is the spirit that's on me today, and before I continue in with my talk, I do want to read one thing, um, ground us in some words that come to us in the form of a poem by Stephen Schick, and it's entitled, Useful Anger. But what is to be done with it? This anger dare not be swallowed. Should it be deluded with denial, cooled with indifference? Should it be sweetened with good intentions, softened with lies? Should it be spewed out red hot over searing tongues, scorching the guilty and innocent alike? What's to be done with it? This anger that dare not be swallowed. Don't delude it, deny it, or cool it. Don't sweeten it or soften it, but pause for a moment. Could you hold it before your eyes, examine it with your heart and mind? Could you hold it, then touch it to your belly, that place where your soul rests? Could you let it enter there knowing it is the part of you that needs to be treated kindly, that needs to be listened to? that needs to be honored, for it has the power to save you, to save us all. So when I examine my anger and touch it to my belly, what do I find? I'm angry because of what Frank so lovingly spoke about in his joys and concerns this morning. I'm angry because the first two bills out of a lot more that I can't, we don't have time to talk about, but the first two bills um, in this slate of hate towards our LGBT um, siblings and cousins um, passed both the House and the Senate this past week. The first, denying health care to trans youth, life affirming, gender affirming care, not only that, but denies parents the right to take their children out of state to get that same care denies parents the right to choose, claim, and fight for the care that their children need has passed and will imminently be signed. The second um, is the first in the country, go Tennessee, drag ban, which uh, publicly bans drag in public. I said the public twice. Um, it's. The the law is confusing in the way that it's stated, but it says that if you're a male or female impersonator, you can't perform. What does perform mean on public property where minors could be present? There's like, it's like I got like all this energy, like this emotion, just like flowing through me. Um, these laws are terrifying and they're harmful. They're scary. The drag band does so many things. First of all, drag is joy. Drag is life affirmation. Like, drag is the way that our community for decades and decades has shown up and proven to people and shown to people what happens when you can just stand in your truth and live authentically. But at the same time, what this law does, even if it doesn't actually say this, it strikes fear in the hearts of every gender nonconforming and every trans person in this state. What does it mean that I can't be a male impersonator or a female impersonator in public in the presence of children? We don't want to be hyperbolic about it. I don't want to scare anybody. There's enough fear. I can't say that's exactly what it means, but we all worry if that's not the law, what's next? I'm angry. 'Cause I'm from here, y'all. Like I'm Tennesseean. Like my family as my parents met at Stratford High School in East Nashville. I was born in Nashville, I was raised in Franklin, I came to Murfreesboro for college. I lived here all through my twenties and now I'm in Nashville with my wife raising our two children. And when I was young, I thought I would never live here. Like when I grew up I would never live in Tennessee. <laughs> like like, that was like tantamount to some sort of failure to me like that's not a life like I can't be here and when I was a teenager and was realizing that I was queer I really thought I wouldn't live here because there was no place for me to be like there was no um, example of what a happy and thriving life could look like for me um, but I went to college for theater and found my people I've talked to you guys about that before and life circumstances kept me home. And after um, college, when I ended up um, in East Nashville, I found other queer people like me, and we were able to be in our little enclave and create safe community with each other. So as I've grown up and become an adult and stood in my adulthood, I've made it part of my life's work to create safe spaces for queer people. Um, And that's allowed us to live and to thrive. A couple examples of things that I've been lucky to be a part of. Um, about 12 years ago, um, a couple of friends of mine, about five or six of us, decided that we didn't have enough safe spaces in Nashville for queer people. And so we started this dance party. We called it QDP, which stands for Queer Dance Party. which was like super creative, but that's what we did. <laughs> and we started, our mission has always been, because we're still in existence today, our mission has always been that once a month we're going to go find a traditionally straight space, So a place that doesn't promote or tout that they're a gay bar, basically. And we're going to take it over for a night, and we're going to create this safe space for our community. We're going to charge a dollar to make it accessible for everyone, and then we take that money and we channel it back out into the community, donate it where it needs to go. And that party has grown, it's gotten really big. We outgrew our little bar a couple years in, and now we, seven, eight hundred people a month come, Pride, there's about 1,500 people. It's it's pretty wild, um, but we did that because we needed more safe spaces. So we said, you know what, we're going to build one. More recently, about six months ago, my wife and I realized we were in a situation again where we didn't have a queer community around being parents. Like we have small children all of our queer friends that happen to not have kids, all of our friends, everyone's straight who has kids, so like, let's find our people. And so we started a group called the East Nashville Queer Parents Group. Again, super creative. (laughs) Um, But you gotta let people know what you're doing. Um, And we created an Instagram account and just started saying, hey, we're queer, we've got kids. Where are you? We're gonna be at this park on this day with our kids. Come meet up with us. And it's been wonderful. It's been small, but it's started to grow. Um, And we've created and met these families, and not only do we get to get together in a public place and meet other people and share experiences and talk about our challenges and talk about things that no one else gets, but our children are seeing examples of other families that look more like theirs and not being the only kid they know with two moms or the only kid they know who has a parent who's trans or the only parent they know whose family just looks a little bit different. It's been pretty wonderful. I talked about these laws that have come into effect recently. I want to tell you about what has happened to my communities, my safe communities, these past few months. This past Friday, we had our first QDP um, this year. We took a break over the winter because it's been 10 years and we're getting old and we needed a break. And uh, we made a decision that for the very first time in 11 or 12 years, we needed metal detectors at the doors of our party. And as people came in to the safe space that they've enjoyed for so long, they had to consent to metal detector wands. And that's, for us, as the people leading this party, it was a painful and sad choice to make. It was a necessary choice to make. Also think about these people, these brave people living in their authenticity and in these beautiful queer bodies who are used to having their bodies examined and don't necessarily want them touched. We had to ask them to go through that coming into our party. That was a loss for us, but it felt necessary right now. For the Queer Parents Meetup group, um, we decided last month that it was no longer safe to publicly post where we were going to be because we are adults saying that we're bringing children around a bunch of queer people and as you guys know there have been protesters showing up at story times and showing up at brunches and we're not going to risk that for our children so it's not that big of a deal we made a mailing list you have to sign up now and if you're on the mailing list we stalk you on social media (laughs) decide if it's you know we're going to let you in and then we tell you where we're going to be So some of the accessibility that we were able to offer in both of those places, we've already had to pull back from that a little bit because we're scared. So underneath my anger, when I examine it, when I look at it, there's grief and there's fear and there's just a general sadness. And so then you have to ask yourself the question again. And I know in my household, about once a month now my wife and i have a discussion/argument as to whether or not we should stay here like whether or not this is the place where we should live and i'll be honest with you friends i'm usually the one that's like we should probably like go and my wife is like no like this is our community this is who we are By living here, by existing here, by building these communities, this is our activism, and this is what we will build for the future. And I commend her, and it infuriates me sometimes, because I just want to go, I don't know, Massachusetts, I don't know, somewhere that I feel like for now feels safer, but she's right for us. For some, it is right to leave. For some, they cannot leave. They don't have the means or the privilege to do so. So for people like me who are here and who are going to stay here, And who want to continue to build this community now? What? Like, what do we do now? Because it feels unstoppable. I'm sure to to me, the slate of hate, these laws, like, it feels like there's nothing we can do. Like, they pass with no resistance. So, like, what do we do? The name of this talk, We Have to Show Up More, I took it from a video. I don't know if any of you guys follow the Tennessee Holler on Instagram, but there was a video of a rally in Knoxville um, around the drag bills and all the bills. And there was a, the woman on the video at a megaphone, and she said, I want to thank you all for showing up today. We're going to have to show up more. And I don't know why. I was like, well, yeah, duh. But also, like, it got me. Like, it convicted me, like, right in my gut. Because we do. We have to show up more, y'all. Like... This may feel unstoppable, but no matter what happens, we have to make a record in history that we are here and we are saying no to this and that we stand here in love for our community, for our siblings, for our cousins, for ourselves. I feel hopeless a lot of the time because I feel like there's nothing to be done, there's nothing to stop it. And then my wife and her conviction reminds me that my existence you know my very showing up and being who i am in the world is a part of what could eventually stop it and i and i appreciate that but it gets tiring sometimes to feel like you're the one who's showing up all the time it gets tiring when you're the one at the in the group at work so i work in a giant corporation so i'm part of an employee resource group that's the pride erg and they like to like march in pride festivals and like recruit employees saying that we're friendly to LGBT people but in moments like this when they're like what are we gonna do? I'm like what about this though are we gonna make a statement about this like this seems like a thing we should stand up against they're like we're a business and everyone steps back so when I think about showing up more I think about what risks am I willing to take to not be shut down in moments like that what risks am I safe to take as a queer person here Do I write a letter to the CEO who lives out in California and I think knows who I am? Maybe, maybe that's what I do. But I also talk to my fellow employees, my coworkers who are queer, and I ask them how they're doing, first of all, and I ask them what they need, and I keep the conversation going. I'm showing up. It may seem small, but I'm doing that. Then we step out of ourselves a little bit, these little micro actions that we can take, And the next way that I think that we really need to show up right now, I ask all of you to do this. Check in on your queer friends. If you haven't called them in the past week to ask them how they're doing, I ask that you do that. If you have friends who are trans, first of all, tell them you love them and ask them if they need anything. One of my friends in our queer parent meetup group she told us this week that she's scared right now to walk her children to school because she's scared she could be arrested for walking her children to school. She's living in that fear right now. And I understand why she feels that way. So my question back to her is, do you want me to walk you to school? Can I, can I meet you there? Can I walk with you to school today? Do you need a ride? I've got a RAV4. I, we can put your kids in the back and we can do it that way. At least right now. At least why the fear is strong. This is the way that we show up. And then lastly, and there's several parts to this, so it's, it's not lastly. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are things we just have to, I believe firmly, and this is a conviction to myself, because I live in a bubble, and I can just talk to the people. I can talk to you guys, and I can talk to my Facebook feed, and I can talk to my friends, and we all already agree, but we've got to find ways to reach out right now, and we have to find ways to connect with other people. Um, there's a book by Ram Dass and Paul Gorman that's called How Can I Help? And it talks about all these different examples of ways of being in service in the world. And then the chapter about social justice and social activism, when it talks about how we show up to change hearts and minds right now, um, it talks, talk about, talks about how we have to make sure that we're connecting with people. And that we're connecting outside of the realm of you're wrong and I'm right. Even if we're angry, we don't start there. We start by connecting with our stories. So I shared a couple stories with you today about how what's going on has affected my life and my community's life and my friend's life. If you're talking to people and this comes up and um, someone says, well, I don't really want my kids going to a drag show. Great, don't take your child to a drag show. Let me tell you what this law is doing to my friends. Please use my story. Please use my friend's story. We haven't shared her name but her situation is not isolated. There are lots of people who feel that way right now. I believe as Unitarian Universalists who are called to social justice that this is a moment where we have to show up more, and we have to have these conversations, and we cannot rest right now. Because like I said earlier, no matter what happens, at least we show up on the right side of history, and there is a record of this, and there was a record of the resistance. It's who we're called to be. It's why I love being Unitarian Universalist. Because it's provided me a spiritual foundation for all of this work. Because it's put me in community with other people that I know that I am safe to say these things with and to ask these things of. This is our home. We're the ones who need to keep it safe. We're the ones who must protect each other. There is no other time but now. So I want to tell you that I love you. And if you're in pain right now and you're scared right now, I am too. And I stand with you. And I'll go with you wherever you want to go and help you have any conversation that you want to have. I know that there will be change. And I know that we will fight this because I know that we are here. So thank you for receiving my anger today. Thank you for being a community that I know was already ready to go before I even started talking. Um, And thank you for the work that you will leave here and go and do and the change that you will make. May it be so.